pain is not there just to happen for pain's sake. Pain can be there to actually teach you something. It can be there to push you along your course. It can be there to serve you. It can be there to actually empower you. A lot of people feel pain from childhood or from unfortunate circumstances they grew up in, and they allow that to just victimize them rather than shifting their mentality a little bit to ask themselves, why did I go through this pain? How can I use this as a fuel to propel myself? Welcome everyone to The Ultimate Shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, Carl <laughs> Sona. We already went through this and I forgot to record, so we're going to do it. <laughs> Carl Sona, I've known Carl for a couple years, one of my very greatest friends. He hosts a free time podcast. There's so much about him, but I'm going to let him tell the story. So who is Carl at 10, 12 years old? What are the dreams, the goals, the aspiration? Who was Carl then? Were you still the same contagious, happy-go-lucky kid? Tell us about that, Carl. Ephraim, thank you so much for having me on, man. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, growing up, I, I'm one of five kids to my parents, but I really grew up like an only child. Not that many people know that about me. My parents come from a small country in West Africa called Cameroon. And right before they came, my dad had two children there that grew up with their mom. And they had me like shortly after arriving in the United States somewhere in the late 80s. So I grew up with both my mom and my dad and never really with them together. I mean, they were together, they were married, they still are to this day, but they had this hustle mentality. You know, they came here to really improve the quality of their lives. Both of them came as students and both of them came with big aspirations of realizing how fortunate they were to actually be given visas to come to this country to go to school and hopefully to provide themselves a better life, you know, something that wasn't available back home in Africa. So I would grow up seeing my mom go to work late at night. She would go to work, you know, from like 10 p.m. till about, I don't know, 11 or 12 the next day. And I would, I would be with my dad, who at the time growing up never really had a stable job. He was more of an entrepreneur and a hustler you know, at a time where entrepreneurship and hustling wasn't really a thing that people aspire towards. So, bro, I have vivid memories around the age of eight, nine, 10, like you're asking me, getting up early in the morning with my dad, he and I going to the part of town where we could hire, you know, skilled workers for the day. We would go to like auctions and we'd go to yard sales and anywhere we could find goods that we could buy and sell for a profit back home. Back then, my dad was really into the idea of selling commodities and goods. So what he would do is he would buy these huge trailers, like these huge 20, 30 foot containers, and we would try to find as many goods as we can. I mean, anything from like lawnmowers to toilets. We try to find these goods so that we could ship them back home to Cameroon and sell them for a profit, man. So I tell you this story because a lot of my Saturdays growing up weren't your traditional grab a bowl of cereal and sit in front of the TV watching cartoons. It was really me and my dad working, you know, staying creative and staying on our toes to figure out what we could do to profit. Because we realized that while things were tough here in this country, that there was still all the opportunity out there if we were willing to go out and get it. So that has always been ingrained within me. I've always seen that. And I've always had such a passion for hard work. I don't know, hard work makes me feel happy. Maybe that's where that contagious 
smile that you talk about comes from. I always feel happiest when I know that I've gone out and I've done something that allows me to reach my potential a little bit. So that's where it comes from, man. You know, just willing that every single day I get to wake up and I'm feeling good and I'm able to work is a great one for me, man. So, you know, what's not to have a smile about when when you're coming from that standpoint. So at that time, what was your biggest fear? Yeah, man. Um, My biggest fear, honestly, was disappointing my parents. Like I said, man, they really didn't have anything figured out. You know, both of them didn't really have their parents in their lives. They didn't have any sort of mentor or any sort of parental guidance bestowed upon them saying, hey, this is what you should be thinking about or this is not what you should be thinking about. So I watched them make a lot of errors and it caused a lot of strain in their relationship. I mean, there were times where, you know, the household was on rocky ground. And as a young kid, you feel that tension. You're absorbing that tension. And you're almost sort of wondering if it's because of you, right? Because these arguments I would hear would be, well, you know, my mom pointing the finger at my dad, you know, saying, hey, listen, why don't you get a stable job? Like, you're doing this, you're doing that. You don't have enough money to pay Carl's tuition. Like, it was always kind of centered on me and them providing for me. And I knew that it was coming from a place of love, but I also knew that, you know, they were both under a severe amount of stress. And so I, at a very early age, took that on my shoulders and I always worried about me not making their efforts worthwhile. You know, I guess you could kind of think about it from this perspective. I always sort of felt like I was a stock that they were investing in. You know, my parents sent me to private school my entire life from pre-K through college. And they would actually, at a certain time in my life, they would actually like give me the check to go pay my own tuition. And I never really understood that. But as I got a little older, I was like, wow, man, like I'm literally like holding a good part of my dad's like life savings, a good part of his earnings. And he's investing in me so that I can turn out, you know, on a bit of a better path than than, than what he was set up to ultimately do here in life. So I just always had this fear that if I didn't handle myself accordingly, if I didn't hold up end of the bargain, I guess you could say that I would be letting them down and that all their hard work would be for nothing. So that's also been my greatest fear. How do you think that that, or has that influenced you in any way into who you are today, as far as propelling your success or maybe holding you back in some ways? It's propelled me, man. It's propelled me. So at a very early age, I decided I was going to go to school, study hard to try to be a doctor. That's what my dad came to this country to do. But unfortunately, it didn't work out for him. Again, you know, being a relatively young man, my dad was my age, even younger. He's probably like 26, 27. I'm 29 now when he came here and he had me. So I was now in my adult life trying to put myself in his shoes. And I, I can certainly empathize as to what a confusing time it would have been like. But it's propelled me from the standpoint that, you know, even though I didn't grow up to be a doctor and even though that, that didn't work out for me, I've always realized that if I put my mind to something and if I'm willing to come at it from a place of extreme relentlessness in terms of being super committed to the goal and realizing that there's no choice but success, I'm able to achieve. And I think my big turning point, Ephraim, was actually in Nashville, bro, when I met you. At that point in time, when I moved to Nashville, I was really starting to kill it in my career. I mean, that's probably how I was actually living at the element at the time, paying that ridiculous rent back then when they first opened up. Yeah, man, I was really starting to kill it. But at the same time, I was losing focus, bro. You know, I was coming from Atlanta, Georgia at the time, which is a real fast paced city, even though it's in the South. 
And I was out there, man, you know, chasing the girls, having them chase me, living that life, you know, especially realizing a little bit of career success as a young man with really no overhead. I mean, I, I was living that sort of quote unquote bachelor lifestyle. And then it really continued to, you know, ramp up and speed up when I moved to Nashville because we know how the culture is there too, man. I mean, there's so many guilty pleasures all around you. And so when I arrived, I sort of lost myself, bro. I sort of lost that focus in terms of what it is I really wanted to accomplish. And I found myself in a position to where, you know, I was working hard, making great money, doing all these great things in my career, but not much else was happening in the background. And so my shift really began in Nashville. And that's when I really started asking myself some tough questions, some real critical questions in order to really make sure that I was staying true to myself. What would you say to that person? Because you're not the only one. You know, you know there's other, there's a lot of, of really great people here. And you know that you're not the only one that's feeling that. Like, okay, like I'm in a great place, but the environment just drags you in, whether it means you're going out every weekend, whether it means you're spending more money than you really want to. What is the starting point? What is one thing that someone can do to change? Just one tip that they can, that's maybe that first step of saying, okay, this isn't where I want to be. I know where I want to go, but something has to change. Does it start with friends? Does it start with What's your self-discipline? Does it start with, like you said, just asking yourself the questions? What's just one takeaway that you would give someone to say, this is where you begin. This is where you start. Yeah, I think it needs to start with you taking a good look at yourself and being willing to ask an uncomfortable question. What are Um, the questions? Yeah, that's a great question, bro. Am I really happy? You know, for me in Nashville, I was happy. I mean, it, I met some of my best friends there. I had a great life there, but I noticed that over time I was partaking in some of these activities purely out of seeking a distraction because I was avoiding some of the internal questions that I didn't really want to answer. You know, so all of a sudden it became easier for me to go out on a Sunday till, you know, the late night hours of the evening just because I was procrastinating or putting off sitting with myself in my apartment in some silence and just really holding an internal audit. Am I happy? You know, do I feel like I'm doing the right thing right now? What have I been ignoring for some time? You know, what's an area in my life or a relationship or, you know, a theme that I need to address that I need to look at, you know, just being willing to actually go deep and look at some of these areas in order to really assess where you're truly at. Because, I think that we're all born with this internal compass that is our intuition. You know I mean? Our intuition is really meant to be a guiding light in order for us to ultimately take those steps towards the lives we ultimately live. But at the same time, I feel like that voice can be hushed. And I feel like we can actually lose a pulse in that voice when we're not exercising listening to our intuition. You know, listening is an active skill, both to others and to ourselves. And in certain environments, and I'm again, the Nashville thing keeps on coming up. I love that city. I'm not trying to demonize it at all. But in certain environments, there's so much external stimuli that can actually create more space between us and that intuition. And I felt that, bro. I felt that because, you know, I'm doing all these things that are supposed to be fun, but it's not really feeling as fun anymore. So am I overdoing it? 
you know, am I, am I missing something here? Am I just sort of numbing myself with all these external things? And that's what I would really encourage people to think about is just to take a really sincere audit. And I've noticed that a lot of folks, myself included, have a tough time being by themselves. They have a tough time being in silence. And, you know, if there's anything positive about this situation that we're in, this quarantine situation, stay at home situation with COVID-19, I think that it's an opportunity to hit the reset button to figure out how to have a better relationship with yourself. You asked me earlier, how do you always have this positivity? How do you always come out of the gate shining and radiating this energy that people really like to vibe with? And I think it's because over the course of time, I've learned how to create a better relationship with myself. You know, everything good that we want to experience in the outside world starts from within first. And so if you feel like you're a little step behind with people or there's a little social anxiety or you're not quite all there when you're out and about doing the quote unquote fun thing, I would really, really encourage you to spend a little bit of time with yourself. And it just starts with sitting in silence, bro. Yeah. You have tremendous success. I mean, I, I know you as a friend. I, I watch you. Your work inspires me. You've got your podcast. I know I'm just learning how much time it takes to do that. You're working your business, your what partnership in the medical field. I know you've invested in real estate. There may be people that were to look at you and say, well, this is all good and fine and dandy and easy because, well, his parents sent him to private school or he's had these opportunities or any one of a number of things. And I think for both you and me, it doesn't matter. Obviously, we our skin color is different, and we both grew up in different environments. Me growing up Amish, you growing up. We've talked about like the the ironic thing of the, the <laughs> two of us becoming great friends. What do you think is the number one reason, or what is something that those people that say, "Well, you've had different opportunities than me," and I know you personally, knowing you've had struggles, and I've had some struggles that we, that people may not know about. What's the advice that you would give that person that says, you've just had a different life? How can they achieve what you have, uh, even though their story might be different? What's, yeah. the, what's the starting point for that? Yeah, first of all, I think people need to not get caught up in comparing stories. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day, and she was um, complaining about not being able to do like a vacation with her family because of COVID-19. But then she caught herself and she was like, what am I even complaining about? Like there's people that are dying. There's people that have lost their jobs. You know, she was sort of comparing her frustration as a result of COVID with other people, with other people's frustrations as a result of COVID. And I stopped and I was like, hey, listen, just because your situation is different from another person's situation, it, it doesn't take away from the fact that that's your loss and that's something that, that is heavy for you, you know? So don't discount that and, and don't try to play this game of who had the biggest struggle and how does that give that person more opportunity or give them less opportunity? Like I always encourage people not to go that direction because your loss is always the greatest loss. And I think that the first step is having some acceptance around that. And it's not to say that you're somewhat desensitized to what other people are going through, but just realizing that this is your journey. And because it's your journey, it's going to look like something completely different from any other person there around you. So that's the first step, okay? I really like people to get that straight. Secondly, when it comes back to your question around 
how can people, you know, create their legacy? How can people create an awesome life experience no matter where they started? I think that what people need to get correct is they need to understand that everything that's happened in their life is ultimately there to serve them and to better them. You know, one of my mentors that I love a lot and that I love um, taking information from is a guy named Ed Milet. And he talks a lot about this concept from the standpoint of pain is not there just to happen for pain's sake. Pain can be there to actually teach you something. It can be there to push you along your course. It can be there to serve you. It can be there to actually empower you. And I think that a lot of people feel pain from childhood or from, you know, whatever unfortunate circumstances they grew up in. And they allow that to just victimize them rather than shifting their mentality a little bit to ask themselves, why did I go through this pain? You know, how can I use this as a fuel to propel myself? What am I supposed to learn from this pain that I can maybe use to create a business or use to create a positive message that helps other people that may be going through a similar pain? Pain is an equalizer, in my opinion. It's an equalizer from the standpoint of that it actually humanizes us. You know, it's actually hard for me to have a real meaningful conversation or relationship with an individual that hasn't gone through some sort of adversity. And I think that when we look at adversity as a unique uh, variable that can bond us and that can help propel us towards some of the amazing things that await for us, that our relationship with it can change very quickly. Not to mention, man, all the good things that we want to experience in life, they're only good because we typically have to overcome something. You know, so many people are chasing the car, the watch, the apartment, the clothes, whatever it may be. And then they ultimately get those things. But you ever notice how you get those things and it doesn't quite live up to how amazing you thought it would be in your mind? Well, that's because you're putting so much stock in the thing in and of itself versus the process to get there. And so I like to talk about this because I think that if people can, you know, take the process and actually enjoy it and, and, and absorb it for what it is, that that gives them a lot more sense of fulfillment for the external thing that they're working towards. So it's a little bit of a mental shift. And that's the first thing that I would really encourage people to think about is how can you look at this as what if this was the best thing ever happening to you? And I know it's tough in certain situations, but if you can start practicing that, I think you'll start to be on your way. I think that you said the key word is that the idea of happiness of people chasing happiness, it's fleeting, right? You get this and then all of a sudden it's like, there's always going to be someone that has more than you. So if you set your happiness bar here and then you get there, you're always going to be chasing that bar. But if you're fulfilled, in another word, you're okay with whatever it is you have. You're completely satisfied. And And another thing too is whenever you're going through some shit, right? And, and I've been there, man. I mean, starting this podcast, starting my most recent business. I mean, there's so much mental noise that I personally have to overcome because I'm just a person where my mind's super active. It's so easy to like lean into that noise and to believe that you're not worthy of what it is you're working towards or that you're not bigger than whatever challenge you're currently going through. And that's where I really encourage people to, again, what I said very early on in the conversation, take some time with themselves to understand what it is they're working towards and why it's important to them. Like having a strong sense of purpose, having a strong vision, and we can share some techniques about how people can build that later on. I think that those two things are mandatory 
in terms of overcoming the challenges because when you have the clear vision, when you have the clear sense of, of why you're doing what you're doing or what the purpose is, I've started to really realize in my personal life that those things help nudge me along. I've got a bigger cause now that goes greater than myself and my own insecurities that's able to help me shine and help, able to help me push through those things. So that's another thing that I really encourage people to think about. And you found your purpose and your vision by asking yourself the questions. Yes. So one of the things that I love to do that I actually got from Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi about a year ago is something called Seven Levels Deep. Ah, So Seven Levels Deep, yeah, Seven Levels Deep is where you essentially have a target or a goal and then you ask yourself why that target or that goal is important to you. And the key here is that you ask yourself why seven times over. The idea being that you know, the initial why is never really the real why. You know, it's the why that sounds good. It's the why that's fun to drop out at the cocktail party, you know, to flex a little bit, make your friends feel like you're really up to something. But the second it gets hard, it it becomes small. Mm -hmm. You know, so I asked myself, I did this exercise uh, some time ago. And when I asked myself why seven times over, and I got to the real why, which was, you know, I realized that I've been positioned to do something excellent here. You know, I believe that at my core and I believe that that's the case for everybody. It's going to look different, but I believe that that's the case for everybody. And so because those seeds of greatness have been planted within me, it's my belief and it's my conviction that I must continuously chase what that excellence looks like. And that while doing so, I find ways to help other people do the same for themselves. Like that was the real why for me that I arrived at after asking myself that question seven times over. And I knew it was real, bro. How I knew it was real because this very chair that I'm sitting in, man, I, I broke down into tears. Like I, I had an overwhelming flood of emotions run through my body and I was like, that's it. It starts from within in order to really step out into the external world, however you were meant to step out into the external world. So what is the biggest challenge or failure you've had to overcome? Wow. So there have been a series of of failures and challenges. Dude, I would say one of my biggest challenges was moving out to Denver right after I left Nashville, probably about two years ago. And when I moved to Denver, I decided to buy a home here. It was a brand new construction home. Um, I got into it under not the best set of terms. And there was just a series of delays that ended up leaving me homeless for quite a while. I was never on the streets, but I was, you know, bouncing back and forth between uh, a variety of places while trying to launch a business that was failing. And everything, if I remember correctly. Exactly. So it, it was, it was a big challenge because at the, at the time I was really taking on a lot, you know, I was trying to launch my e-commerce business. I was putting myself out there as a content creator. I had some struggles at work, the very job that brought me here. And I was really disconnected from people in Denver in the beginning. I actually remember traveling back to Nashville and, and feeling disconnected from some of my friends there. So it was just a time in my life where personally my light wasn't lit up, put it that way. You know, I wasn't meeting my people here and I had all these different things going on, man. And my mind was just like a jacked up Rubik's cube and I didn't know how to get myself back in order. And I say that that was a challenge because 
you know, despite everything going on in my external world that I had to deal with, I had to take time for myself, you know, while traveling literally like crazy hours during the week to figure out what it was that I needed, man. And I got to a place where, where I decided to go to therapy. What I realized was that there were some childhood traumas that I not dealt with that had really sort of, you know, compounded and compounded and compounded. And after spending a lot of time with myself and asking some questions, I realized that I had some blocks, man. And uh, that, that, was, that was hard for me, man. Uh, you know, I don't tell many people this and I'm going to open up about it. But when I was a kid, I was actually sexually abused. I don't tell a lot of people that. And um, I just traced me shoving that down towards a lot of the things that were, you know, impeding me from moving forward. A lot of people don't realize that while we may try to cope by just shoving things in the closet, you know, or, or forcing things down, we don't realize that that takes energy, right? And energy is a resource that we have a limited amount of. And so when you have energy stalled over here and you're trying to get to some big goal over here, or you're trying to improve the quality of your relationships or whatever the case may be, you don't realize that without being able to find ways to healthily free that energy, you're just impeding yourself from getting there and it causes more frustration and it keeps you stuck. So that was tough for me, man, because there was so much going on personally, professionally, and otherwise. And I realized that I was a common denominator and I had, it, I had the choice ultimately, you know, keep on doing what I'm doing, stay frustrated, stay stuck, or look at the things that I don't want to look at. And for me, that was a big one coming from my childhood, man. You know what I mean? But I could look at that thing and actually choose a different path or at least try something different, right? In order to actually get myself over that. That was tough, man. But since then, I got to say, man, I mean, there've continued to be challenges and failures and all that stuff, but I've never felt more free. I've never felt like I'm actually like living more true to myself. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been extremely liberating. It really has been because that was something that was a huge source of shame. That was something that, you know, I was hiding behind that I think actually cut me off from having deeper relationships. I think that actually kept me closed and guarded, you know, even though I wasn't consciously aware of it. So that was tough, man. That's one of those moments where you realize that it's time, but you're so scared about what it's going to look like that you go to swallow spit and like, it's like sandpaper, man. It's like that hollow feeling in your gut. But I'm also learning that those are the moments where you can shine. Those are the moments where you can build strength and courage and fortitude and, and all those great things. So, yeah, man, looking at those shadows is, is very powerful. And I, I think that everybody knows when it's time, when they're, when they're just tired of carrying on the way they've been carrying on. I appreciate you sharing that. Why do you think, one, that in order to be truly who you are or successful, you have to be able to become vulnerable Two, why do you feel like so many people struggle with the vulnerability aspect of life, mm. of letting people in, of sharing what you're saying, sharing your shadows, because it's liberating on the other side of it. So why do you think it stops so many people from that? Yeah. So to answer your first question, you know, we all have a personal definition of success. For me, I define success as service, meaning the more people that I can serve, the more people that I can add positive value to, no matter how big or small, the more successful I will be in like a holistic sense. So that's just my definition. So first and foremost, define what success means for you. Define what it looks like for you. But vulnerability is so critical 
as it relates to my definition, because how you're able to build rapport with people, how you're able to connect with people, how you're able to positively influence people is by bringing them alongside of you, right? Everybody has this innate desire to feel a connection towards people. If you're a business person, you're really in the business of people. Like for instance, bro, you own your roofing company. Yeah, the product and the services, your roofing services, but I'm sure when you go to take that first consultation or that first call, there's a human to human element there, right? That needs to be checked in order for you to like move forward and actually distribute that service. And in my opinion, it's the same in any business that you're at, or if you're an employee, it's the same in any organization you may work at. And I really believe, and I find that when you can speak with authenticity, when you can speak with a level of transparency, that is true, that human beings feel that, you know, that actually opens up the floodgates for them to really learn who you are, for you to learn about them, because they're going to respond to you and for you guys to actually collaborate and go further. And so without vulnerability, without an ability to actually be who you are, you're essentially adding slud into that pipe and you're creating distance between you and that person that you can ultimately help or serve no matter what the capacity is. It's also like, in my opinion, one of the biggest traits around leadership, like People think that leaders are the people that, you know, are the loudest or, you know, the strongest or the ones that can beat on their chest the hardest or whatever the case may be. But in my opinion, man, a great leader is an individual that understands what someone needs in order for them to live their best life or in order for them to carry out that job or that function or that task at its optimal capacity. And you don't get that out of people without understanding who they are. You don't get that out of people without being able to open up about some struggles that you've had, you know what I'm saying? So that they can also see that there's a level of realness that, that allows them to be like, oh, wow, okay, this guy is our leader, but here he is telling me about the situation. I see where he's at. I can do it too. You know, vulnerability, it extinguishes artificialness. It, it, it cuts out the fakeness, man. And the fakeness is where people get stuck. That's where people get trapped. So that's why that's so important in my mind in terms of being successful. Now, to handle the second part of your question, why do people struggle with it? Man, I mean, because it's like being naked, bro. <laughs> like, like, who wants to be naked on, on that stage? It kind of goes back to all of us being kids, man. We all grew up in elementary school where we have those terrors and those nightmares about being exposed. We have those insecurities about throwing our hand up and being wrong or saying something that sounds seemingly foolish and then having everybody point and laugh. You know what I'm saying? We have this, this ego that drives us that says you need to fit in, you need to belong. And so when we carry these things that are innate to us or that are unique to us that we feel like could shed our exterior and expose our nakedness, that's like... That's like it's extremely threatening, man, because it threatens this, this feeling that will be accepted by the tribe. And I think that's where people really struggle, man. People are looking for acceptance. People want to belong. And I think that what people have to understand is that how they actually truly start to belong and invite other people to belong is by embracing what makes them them. And being willing to, you know, shed that and being willing to 
lead with that because that's actually the true magnetic force. If you want anybody to be attracted to you from a, a friendship perspective or even a romantic perspective or a professional perspective, you got to lead with this energy that's true to you. You got to show them who you are. That's how that trust is built there. But it's a difficult thing, man. It's a difficult thing because there's a lot in our society that would lead us to believe otherwise. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and when you don't lead with that, then eventually it comes out and then they're in love with this person. They're friends with this person who's actually not this person that they thought. Right. Then it falls apart. What advice would you, Carl, today give to the little boy that was abused, that's struggling, that's afraid? What would you say to him and to anyone else going through that? Yeah, man, that's a tough one. I mean, first and foremost, I would want that little boy or little girl, that innocent individual to understand that they're not tainted. I think for a while, and when I say for a while, I mean for like decades, like I'm only 29, I carried around this burden deep within my chest because I felt like if the world knew, if people knew, if my significant others knew, I would somehow be less than or tainted in their minds. And I've always had this mentality that when I step out into the world or I go to a party or a meeting or whatever, that like I need to be polished. And I think subconsciously me harboring this secret, me harboring this trauma, I think that I was telling myself that if that ever came out, that that would reduce my stock you know what I mean? And that that would diminish that light that you described in the very beginning about when I come into a room, you know, and I think I worried that people would just label me as, uh, that's, that's Carl. Like he's been sexually abused, like whatever that was. And so I would want that innocent person, you know, that's had this happen to them to understand that that's not at all the case. And I would want them to really understand that where their character really has an opportunity to shine, where they really have an opportunity to demonstrate some courageousness is by overriding that story in their mind, by being willing enough to, A, go seek some help and, and learn how to talk about it, learn how to verbalize it. Like for so long, bro, this shit would just crush me because I couldn't even speak it out. Not even like just being by, in my apartment alone. Like I couldn't say like, wow, man, like I was sexually abused. Like, like that was just like, I felt like if I gave those words life, that it somehow became true and that I had to accept it and that I would be open to, you know, some of these things that my mind was, was, was concerning me around. And so I just got to a point where I was so tired of this thing having that control over me. It kind of felt like a game of whack-a-mole. You know, if you ever go to like one of these carnivals, right, where like you just try to hit the thing. You take all the energy to suppress it and then it pops up over here. Then you're there. Then it pops up over there. And I, I just, I couldn't deal with that, with that mental game anymore. And so I would just really encourage anybody that's been through a situation like that to understand that they're not tainted and that it's really an opportunity for them to exercise courage and strength. Like, again, going back to that idea of how can this, you know, pain serve you? And if you can overcome that, I'm telling you, you're laying the infrastructure down for amazing things to come. I love that. I absolutely love that. If you were put on a world stage where everyone is watching, the entire world is watching, the leaders of the world are watching, kids, elders, doesn't matter, 
and you had five minutes to make a difference or an impact, what would you say? It's a great question, man. I would say that we're all here for a special reason. You know, I think the unique thing about all of us is that we're all different people and it's easy to look at other people and to say that they're special or they have the gift or the, or, or the skill or the talent and to, to diminish sight of what our specialness could be. But I would tell everybody that there's been a seed that's been planted, you know, that it's not by coincidence that you can smile and get people to smile back. It's not by coincidence that you can hug and get somebody to relax. It's not by coincidence that you can shake a hand and feel that connection, right? It's not by coincidence. And so with that in mind, go out and really find what you're put here to contribute. What's supposed to be your splash in this pond that we're all, you know, seemingly swimming in? What's supposed to be your level of contribution and impact? And really be sincere about that. I think that's the biggest tragedy is that a lot of people don't really believe that they're really put here to do anything of significance. And again, this is where the whole comparison game needs to be extinguished, right? Because just because you look at Michael Jordan and his incredible skills on the basketball court, or you look at, you know, Dirks Bentley and his incredible gifts, you know, playing guitar and singing, like that doesn't mean that because you can't do either of those things that you can't make a splash that's of equal significance or even greater in, in whatever sphere of influence that may be. So I really encourage people to understand that there is a specialness around them and that it's their sole responsibility to go out and discover what that thing is. You know, Michael Jordan had to go discover that for him. Derek Spenley had to go discover that for him. And I just think that if people took a little bit of extra intentionality around that, that they'd be leading lives that would truly light them up because they would know that they'd be en route towards discovering what that thing is, man. And that's really what um, struck me, man, two and a half years ago when I was in Nash was I lost sight of that. You know, I just became a guy that was siloed as this is my occupation. This is who I am. And when I'm not doing that thing, I'll just go through the motions. And if you're feeling that way, you first and foremost got to realize that you got to unsilo yourself. You know, if you're a roofer, that's not who you are. That's a temporary label, but that's not who you are. So getting a clear sense of who you are and being intrinsically curious about who you are is what's going to push you forward and propel you towards figuring out what your splash can be. You have a splash to make. If you have a voice, you have two ears, you have a mouth, you have a splash to make. And so I just really want people to take themselves more seriously and understand that seeds have been planted and it's up to them to nurture those seeds and cash out for a big windfall to really figure out what that splash can be that they ultimately are put here to contribute. I don't know of anyone that's doing that better than you are right now. Your content, you're, you're just doing it all. I think that we need that, bro. Like, I think that part of the reason why I really push myself to talk about the vulnerabilities, to talk about the things that I don't have quite figured out is, again, man, the mind. Like, if I'm looking at you, I'm like, man, like, how's Ephraim started all these businesses? How's he written a book? How's he not doing a pocket? Like, like the mind's telling you, like, hey, listen, man, 
Ephraim's already crossed the finish line. <laughs> he, he got there so quick. It must be something that he has that I don't have. But I think the more that we can pull the curtain back a little bit and talk about this shit, like the more hopefully people will be able to like resonate and be like, oh, wow. Like you mean to tell me like Carl gets a little socially anxious before hopping on a podcast or before going to give a speech? You mean to tell me that like Derek Bentley's heart still like races, you know, a freaking thousand miles an hour before he like hits that concert? Like hopefully we can just find ways to humanize ourselves more. Mm-hmm. Again, we invite people to come on board, to come, to come alongside of us. And it, it gives them the courage and the inspiration within their own lives to say, all right, like maybe it doesn't have to always be all figured out. Because again, man, people are always neglecting to look at the process, the in-between. They're just always looking at the end and they're trying to emulate the end. Like I just saw Jay-Z, Jay-Z was on a podcast recently and he was talking about this. He's like, yo, like everybody's just trying to emulate the end. But they're like, they like forgot that like there was like a bunch of shit that happened in this gray area. Yeah, that they had to go through in order to get there. And so I want to encourage people to embrace the gray area, man. That's where it's at. Like, I guarantee you, if you do that, like you're going to hit your dreams and probably even surpass them. And I guarantee you that when you do get there, you drive in that car, you got the girl, the guy or whatever it is, like as good as that's going to feel, you're always going to have a special fondness for that uncertainty, for those moments of where you're like, man, like, I don't know what the hell am I, well, I'm, what the hell I'm doing? Like, am I going to be able to make it this month? Am I going to be able to keep the lights on? Like, that's going to be the specialness because you're going to see all those things as trials and tribulations that threaten to keep you down, but that you were able to overcome, mm-hmm. you know? And the shiny things will just be nothing but a little metal of you proving to yourself that you're able to overcome. So that's the beautiful part of it, man. I mean, it's the process and it's something that I am really working to sort of reprogram myself to say, hey man, I know you wanna go faster. I know you feel like it's not happening yet, but I'm telling you, man, it's gonna come quick. Like if there's one thing that I'm certain about Ephraim is time continues to move on. I mean, we've been in this situation now with COVID-19 for two months. And I remember in the beginning of it, I was wondering like, wow, like how long are the days gonna feel? Like, is it just gonna drag? Like when's this gonna be over? And then all of a sudden I looked up and it's like middle of May, as far as I'm concerned. You know what I'm saying? And so I say that to say that if you're just like standing still wondering how long it's going to take or when your day is going to come, like rest assured, time's moving. Are you going to move along with it? The world will move along and it will swallow you up and leave you behind in a heartbeat. The worst thing you can experience is middle age, right? Whatever that number is and be like, whoa, like where did my life go? I still feel that way. And I've done a lot of things that I wanted to do. And I'm still looking back and I'm like, what happened? Exactly. What happened between 2008 and 2020? I don't remember. It seems like, (laughs) you know, I think about this a lot. Neither one of us have kids. Imagine if you had their schedules and things and you were married and you had all those people. I can't, I can easily see why people say life just goes like a blink. Well, we're getting close to time, but I want to ask you another question here. If you could ask anyone in the world any question, dead or alive, Mm. you could ask them one question, who would it be and what would the question be? Wow. This is a great one. I've heard this on different shows. I'm happy you asked me because nobody's ever asked me before. I would have to say Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for a couple of reasons. One, I really wonder 
what my life would have looked like today if it wasn't for him having the vision and the dream that he had. You and I joke that you're my Amish brother from another mother. I'm your black brother from another mother. And, you know, how is it that a little Amish boy and a little black boy could be great friends and are now communicating and putting out this positivity? And I literally think that some of that comes back to Dr. King's dream. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he was a guy in a very tumultuous time, right, in terms of racial tensions and segregation in the Civil War that was so willing and so courageous and so bold to lend his voice to a vision and to put his face, his Black face, a face that was demonized at that time in, in the South, to that, you know, for, for, for people like myself and like you that he would never even meet. Mm-hmm. Like, talk about a grand vision. Like, that, that dude had a why. That yeah. dude had a burning why that allowed him to put himself his family, his loved ones at risk every single day that he woke up that he continued to try to, you know, push towards his vision. So I'd want to have a conversation with him, bro. And I want to ask him, how do you continue to take the steps and to move towards your vision, knowing that that same vision may very well land you dead? Like, how do you attach and find and discover that vision that's so great that you value it more than your life. Because I think that one of the things that we're all scared about is death because we don't know what death looks like. We don't know what comes after, right? There's a huge uncertainty there. And so I think that a lot of people, if you're like me at least, you fear that. And so how do you find that vision that trumps that fear that threatens your own mortality? Because I think if you can find that, and you're like, fuck it, man. This is what I got to do. This is what I'm put here to do. And like, you can really mean it and really attach yourself to like, that's the thing that you're here to do. Voila, man. That's what it means to be alive. That's what it means to be alive. So that's, that's who I would speak to. And that's the conversation I would have. Because that's something I'm very fascinated about, man. And I haven't, I haven't quite gotten there yet. But I'm forever thankful to that guy. Because I think that he's forever. We still have our issues, of course. But I think that he's forever shifted you know, the tide of this world yeah. that allows this to happen right now, bro. Yeah. I want to turn that question on you now. So how do you continue to push for your vision knowing it may not be a physical death, but it could be the death of something you're building as an entrepreneur. We both know that. So how do you, and what do you do to continue to motivate yourself to build and push for that vision, your dream that some people may not understand or may not see and you don't know the end results any more than he did? It's a great question, man. And I tell myself that the day that I stop pushing, despite not knowing what I'm doing in the gray space, right, of the process towards the goal, the day I stop pushing is the day that I'm dead. You know, I sure I may have a pulse, sure I may continue to walk around, but it's a day that I've forsaken myself, that I've given up on me. Mm-hmm. You know, I firmly believe that nobody's here to live my life but me. Nobody's here to save me but me. You know, nobody's here to also add the shine in the world that I know that I can add but me. And so the day that I stop doing things to discover what that looks like and to actually manifest the reason why the Lord put me here and to actually meet the greater, better version of myself, that's the day that I'm dead, man. And 
for me, I think I can honestly say that nothing would be worse than just waking up, going through the motions and ignoring the curiosity about who it is that I was meant to become or who it is that I was meant to help. And so I really just take a step back, you know, and I, I pretend that I'm like a third party in life, if you will, sometimes. And I honestly have to do this exercise, pretend I'm a third party. And I look at the ideal Carl that I know the Lord created and that planted seeds of greatness in. And I look at the Carl that has seemingly lost his soul because, you know, he bowed down to the fear of what people were going to think, or he gave up under the pressure of, a tough situation, you know, that was just going to be a fleeting situation anyways. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what character do I want to ride with here? You know, what character am I really cheering for here? Who's really supposed to like stand victorious, you know, arms extended over the head at the end. And it's this guy, when I can think about it from that perspective, almost like I'm a third party watching a movie. It kind of sounds kind of goofy and silly. Maybe I think that that gives me a little bit of a mental edge for me to come back into my own body and say, all right, bro, like keep on living out that journey, right? Like we talked about authoring a book, you know, we're all in our stories. Keep on finding a way to put that pen to the paper and just write something down. You don't have to even necessarily know how it's all going to come together, but I like doing that, man. And I'll tell you why I do it. I don't know. Maybe it's the way I'm wired, Ephraim, but sometimes we're just so close to our own shit. And that's why it's so helpful to have positive spheres of influence around you, great relationships like what you and I have, because it, it just takes you out of your own shit. But like when you can just sort of step away and get out of your body for a second and almost even imagine that little dichotomy of, you know, the victorious Carl versus the defeated loser Carl, it almost makes that choice a little easier to make. You know what I'm saying? Than when like your knees deep in your own doo-doo and mm -hmm. you don't know what to do. Yeah, no, i I 100% agree. I, I love everything you said. I think your answer is probably, I don't personally know Martin Luther King, but I think his answer would have been a lot similar to the same as yours. I mean, if, if you don't push for what you want, then, then what are you really doing? Are you really alive? Is it really worse than being dead if, if you don't believe in your ideas to go? And I just want, I appreciate you. I just want to, just want to tell you, you're an inspiration to me. I can't wait until the world gets to know who Carl Sona is. I think that everyone that comes into your life is rewarded and their life becomes better because they met you. Mm -hmm. I, I genuinely believe that. I think that you're going places that you can't even fathom. I, I don't know of a bigger hustler. I don't know of someone who's more consistently just putting stuff out there, even though you have the same crap to go through mm -hmm. on your daily basis as I do or anyone else, but you're still finding the time to put a message out there, to put some good words out there to put some inspiration out there. And I respect the hell out of you. I just do. I appreciate that, bro. I just want to say like, for anybody struggling right now, like just be curious about what a better situation could look like for yourself. You know, yeah. one of the things that I think a lot of us struggle around sometimes is waking up in the morning and immediately our minds going towards all this shit that we don't want to deal with. And it's just like, oh man, like you almost sort of sometimes romanticize around this idea of like, what if you just didn't have to be here anymore to not deal with that shit? I guarantee everybody's had this, especially the really successful people out there too, man, because, you know, success adds pressure. Like people don't realize that successful people have issues and problems too. 
Problems are always a constant and a given, no matter what level you're at in life. And it's about realizing what quality of problem you want to have. And so when I say that, I really want people or I encourage people to think about, you know, what's possible. Like just have some curiosity around what more of this life could offer you. And I think the more curious you are and the more you're sort of vested in yourself as like a third party watching this like, you know, hero go about his journey, the more you start to kind of really get intrigued by some of these different things that may be calling you. And so I'll just leave it at that because, you know, none of us is here to really share what that is for individuals. But curiosity has really been super huge for me, bro. And um, I just want to leave that with the audience today. And Ephraim, I so appreciate you, bro. Your words always pierce my heart. You always make me feel like I can do it, man. You always make me feel like I'm doing it, actually. And it's just so empowering to have a dear friend like you in my corner, man, because you're right. You know, I'm here today as your guest. You're featuring my story and this and that, but it's hard. It's hard. And in fact, the more you try to bite off, the harder it gets. You know, that's life testing you to see if you're really prepared and ready for what it is you're asking out of life. And friends like you really inspire me and give me the strength to continue to push forward despite it feeling hard. Just know that the hard times are fleeting and find people like Ephraim in your corner that can continue to give you that gentle nudge that you need to keep on going. I appreciate that. And well, I have to just leave you with this, that, that as far as one more question, you kind of know my story, you know me, you know the um, idea behind the ultimate shift. Why should someone take their time and tune in? What do you think that they could expect getting out of this show? Oh, I love it. The ultimate shift is that key point in our journey where we're coming up against that fork in the road and we can go left and we can go right. We all have that in some sort of capacity, no matter what the external situation is. And I think that listening to a show like The Ultimate Shift with Ephraim is so critical because sometimes the uncertainty of the path that we want to go down can actually scare us. You know, our minds like that which feels normalized and that which does not seem fearful. But being able to be exposed to people that are going to come on this show, that are going to have conversations like this with E from The Ultimate Shift, it allows you the opportunity to see and hear from other folks that have had that same encounter with the fork in the road, that the path that they ultimately took, that little pivot point, doesn't have to be as scary as what it would feel like in the real time. You know, and sometimes all you need is somebody's story, somebody that's willing to be vulnerable, like the folks that you're going to hear on this show that are willing to bring you alongside to say, hey, you know, my path is different, your path is different, but it doesn't mean that we don't have that fork in the road. This is what happened for me when I chose to receive the call, when I chose to be curious, when I chose to be courageous for myself. What could it be for you if you chose to lean into it? And I think that's what you're definitely going to get out of this show. You're going to be exposed to a lot of people that are going to have their own ways of talking about what that call was and talking about how they ultimately were able to take that path that was least traveled, that seems so fearful, that led to all these beautiful things, right? All the things that you guys are going to see on the back end and be like, wow, the person was just born into that. They were just lucky. They were just the chosen ones. No, 
on this show, I guarantee you, you're going to hear some of those similar challenges and those internal noises and those doubts that people wrestled with, but that they were able to overcome. You're going to hear tactical steps around how they overcame. You're going to hear the mental reframes and the mental shifts in terms of mindset that they had to make. And hopefully by you hearing those things, hopefully that serves as an example of how you can demonstrate some of those qualities within your own life, you know, that apply to your own specific journey. So please continue to tune in. Um, I love what my man Ephraim is doing here. It's only going to continue to rise up and reach more people and, and hopefully provide people what they need in order to make that ultimate shift for themselves. Amen, brother. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely, bro. Uh, my day is better because of this. Likewise, dude. I can't wait to see you in the real time, man. We'll be hugging it out here pretty soon, Ephraim. Very well. All right, brother. Will you take care? Go have fun the rest of the day, but thanks again for your time. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in to The Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy. And we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up. But there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at EphraimGlick.com. See you next time.